Today on Ag News Daily. In the cattle industry, we've certainly seen a lot more or higher propensity for some black ink at the bottom line version. As we work forward, you know, we, we're also wrought with some challenges in terms of inflation and expenses, just like anyone across the United States is working through. January 6th, fun Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Tanner Winterhoff and Delaney here to bring you some of the latest headlines today. Looking forward to it, Delaney. First Friday of 2023. It is. That's true. Too bad it's not you, Friday, like the 13th. Well, that's next week. That's, oh, oh yeah, it is. You're right. Yes. We may have to drum up some uh, statistics about what happens on Friday the 13th for next week. Maybe we won't even do any news next Friday. We will just talk about all the bad things that have happened on Friday <laughs> the 13th. Well, that could be an interesting addition. I don't, there's no reports that come out next week on Friday, are there? Because that would just be doomed. Uh, no. There's no way they could be good reports. No, the WASD comes out next week, but I think it's on Wednesday or Thursday. So I think we should be covered. All right. Good deal. Listeners, we know that some of you have been battling some unexpected snow, but hopefully you got a little bit of a heads up from listening to us. Light snow, freezing drizzle continued to be expected in parts of Northern Illinois and Indiana. Today, as we move across, we've kind of followed that storm system, Delaney, from the Colorado area, obviously pushed through our neck of the woods there for a little while. Southern Plains are still going to be warming up and having those high wind results. Texas Panhandle will have strong winds and warmer than normal temperatures. Those poor people down there not having to deal with freezing water pipes like we have. Those winds, though, Delaney, could be 20 to 25 miles per hour with gusts of 35. And the humidity in that area is expected to drop below 12%, which does put them in risks for wildfires. So hopefully we don't have to report on any of those after this weekend. But that's a little bit of look at what weather is going to be like here in the U.S. Well, Tanner, weather in the... South American region is going to be heating up here. So I'm a little jealous, not fully jealous because it sounds like it's going to really impact their ability to produce crops, of course, but there is another heat wave rolling in for Argentina. As of January 5th, the Buenos Aires Grand Exchange reports that excellent ratings of soybeans sits at just 8%, down another two percentage points from last week. And compared to 50% is where good to excellent ratings were sitting last year. So they're sitting at just 8%, not going to be a good crop by all accounts, Tanner. And the report shows a similar situation when it comes to their corn acres. Just 13% of the country's corn is rated good to excellent, down another two percentage points compared to the week prior, but down significantly because last year at this time, sitting at 41% good to excellent. So according to their latest GEFS model, Temperatures over in Argentina are going to be well above normal with some temperatures exceeding 100 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Yeah, that's certainly going to cause some issues there with their growing season. We still have issues in the House, Delaney. The House of Representatives has still not elected their next speaker. Uh, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy is failed in the ninth and 10th rounds of votes on Thursday yet again to get a majority to become that speaker. Now, Republican-elect Lauren Boebert 
from Colorado has made a sudden nomination for Republican elect Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma to be the next speaker. This new nomination has not really gained a significant amount of momentum outside of the 20 static votes that have not gone towards McCarthy. So in the 10th round, McCarthy had 200 of the votes. 13 of them went to Hearn and uh, it is still not allowing there to be a majority. So we continue to look at ways they have dismissed until today to go back in for more debates and continued rounds of voting. But a little bit ominous here, Delaney, as we look at how long this process might take and what this stalemate looks like. To me, it's not a very good image. I've watched a lot of videos and it does not look like friendly conversations are happening in the chambers. Uh, and I don't see an easy resolution to this. Like stated, the first article reported on on Tuesday said that they don't have to be a seated uh, House of Representative member that can be put into this position. So there were a couple of nominations thrown out for Donald Trump. Of course, I think those were more humorous <laughs> than strategic. Uh, but yes, we will continue to watch. Obviously, we need to get to that 218 votes to get a majority uh, to get our House Speaker elected. Well, in our one office, we do have sworn in as of end of December, finally, with the new administration was the swearing in of Alexis Taylor to serve as the Undersecretary of Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. Uh, Alexis apparently has deep roots in agriculture, trade, and export opportunities for American farmers, and she has served her career previously uh, working in U.S. ag and trade policy, but was also a veteran of the U.S. Army, and she has been officially sworn into that office and will serve with Secretary Vilsack. Yeah, there you go. We're going to stick in our Washington, D.C. side of news for today. Just one more article that I have here. We did get an announcement that the Senate Ag Committee's chairwoman will not rerun for office in 2024. We did report on the House is Ag Committee chairman seat being flipped from Republican Dave Scott of Georgia to Republican Glenn Thompson of Pennsylvania following the Republicans taking control of the House. But the Senate Ag Committee is now going to be looking for a new leadership role in the next two years after that stint from Senator Debbie Stabow of Michigan. She announced on Thursday that she will not pursue re-election in 2024. Her quote is that she's inspired by the new generation of leaders and they decided to pass the torch in the U.S. Senate. However, she stated that she will be extremely focused during the last two years of her term. She was the first woman elected to the Senate for the state of Michigan, and she says she's been blazing trails and breaking barriers for her home state since that happened in 2001. But the final two years may prove to be the most important of her time in office. She will spend the next two years intensely focused on leading the passage of the next five-year farm bill, which obviously we know is a big factor for our listeners and will be fun for us to continue to report on. But this news comes out early. Very rarely do we get retirement announcements this far ahead of plan, ahead of time for us to allow planning for. So uh, Senate Ag Committee Chairwoman will not be the same chairperson two years from now. So it'll be interesting to see what that succession plan ends up looking like. It certainly will, Tanner. And it sounds like dairy farmers had a good year and may be able to build a stronger succession plan for 2023 as 
where we're getting final reports that 2022 milk prices set a new record for the year. Last month, the Dairy Management Inc. and the National Milk Producers Federation projected prices overall to end at $25.50 per hundredweight for the year of 2022. That's well above the 2014 record, which was set at $24 per hundredweight. So, of course, experiencing, just like all the other industries, higher input costs, but at least it's good news to see that they also saw increased prices as well, Tanner. However, how much of that got passed back to the dairy producer, of course, is uh, probably the biggest question there. Yeah, no kidding. Delaney, I'm going to take the last two headlines that I have and smash those together for today. Starting off hitting on ethanol production, it fell to the lowest since June of 2020. So almost two and a half years ago, production fell to an average of 844,000 barrels per day during that last week of 2022. That's down from the 963 on the week before. Of course, like I said, that's the lowest level now since June 12th of 2020. However, when we look at inventories, they only dropped slightly. They dropped slightly to 24.44 million barrels down from 24.636. So continuing to monitor those ethanol stocks. But Delaney, as we go out to the Consumer Electronics Show, it kicked off yesterday and John Deere made two big announcements. The exact shot and a fully electronic excavator. During the keynote address from John May, the John Deere CEO, he stated here that they are looking to focus on real purpose and real impact for developing and providing customers with technology to build the food, fuel, and fiber infrastructure, growing the needs. Exact shot Delaney enables farmers to reduce the amount of starter fertilizer needed by more than 60%. This technology, uh, the video was really fun to watch. Imagine a planter going through the field and you're looking in the seed trends. Instead of a consistent stream of starter fertilizer from end to end, it only shoots where a seed has been placed. So a sensor monitors where a seed is dropped and then the liquid is triggered, which allows a seed to be covered. Uh, So therefore, this space between those seeds is not needed to have fertilizer spread. And then the powered by a creasel battery, the fully electric excavator will lower daily operating costs, obviously reduce noise and pollution and improve reliability on their machines. It's a zero emissions offering that doesn't sacrifice power or performance according to the Deere spokesperson. This is being manufactured in their facility in Austria. And as of September, 2022, this facility is received an announcement for expansion. So we kind of need to watch those electronic tools move forward. I know Bobcat has a fully electric skid loader. This will now be the fully electric excavator coming from the John Deere line. So some neat news coming out of that conference. Well, Tanner, I tell you what, I think I am all out of news for today, aside from touching on the markets here as we head into the opening session. What about you? That's it. Go right ahead. Well, certainly it seems like The bears have been in control until today, and we see markets opening up finally in the green. But we've seen some poor export data this week involving grain exports to China, lower than expected. We've also seen for the wheat market here, Australia is reporting to be on the verge of harvesting a potential record wheat crop. 
only positive headlines really we've seen this week, Tanner, are uh, heat waves in Argentina and potentially a lower production there. Has the market factored that in yet or not? We'll get Darren Newsom's take on that on Monday. In the meantime, March corn today opens at 657 and a half, up four and three quarter cents in the overnight. This new crop corn was up two and three quarter pennies to open at 594. March soybeans will ring in here at 1483 and a quarter, up 12 and a half cents in the overnight. New crop soybeans up eight and three quarter cents will open at 1391. Hard red March winter wheat opens this morning at 8.40, up just a quarter of a cent in the overnight. And livestock yesterday closed pretty much in the red across the screen and will open at a buck 57.35 in the February live cattle contract at $1.8655 in March feeders and at 82.52.5 in February lean hogs. Tanner, we have a great, insightful conversation here coming to us from the Iowa Cattlemen's Association as we look at beef production in 2023. So let's turn it over to that conversation with Matt Deppie of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. Well, as we look at the 2023 outlook, especially for the cattle industry, we're joined today by Matt Deppy, CEO of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. Matt, thanks for joining us today. And I know we're fresh off the holiday season here, but just prior to the holidays, you guys had your annual summit leadership meeting. Tell us a little bit about what that entailed and what kind of information you guys learned during that summit. Yeah, thanks, Delaney, and happy to be on today. Um, the ICA or the Iowa Cattle Industry Leadership Summit is how we titled it. That's um, that's our annual meeting with the Iowa Cattlemen's Association. We also incorporate other um, organizations within the cattle industry, like the Iowa Beef Industry Council, as well, as well as the Iowa Cattlemen's Foundation, and really sets us up to look back, reflect on a year's work of, of work, um, make some decisions moving forward in terms of our uh, influence type positions on various topics amongst the membership, but also uh, an opportunity to network and, and kind of look forward uh, related to some opportunities coming or some challenges coming some years. Um, so that, that's what that, that event's all about. Um, and we certainly had a great attendance and a great program when it was all said and done. So as you reflect on how this year went compared to years in the past, what would you say made you the most excited of how this year wrapped up? Well, as you, as you look at um, the profitability uh, apportionment or opportunity from a producer standpoint in the cattle industry, we've certainly seen a lot more or a higher propensity for, for some black ink at the bottom line uh, version. As we work forward, you know, we, we're also wrought with some challenges in terms of inflation and expenses, just like anyone across the United States is working through right now and they're their operational or business or, or personal uh, finances. But then as you kind of chart why, why that is. So uniquely, um, when we look at the domestic inventory from a cow-calf uh, perspective, um, we're, we're down a few percentage points year over year. In fact, a couple of years in a row. And then just as uniquely or even more uniquely on the world side of things, our inventory or our cow herd, so to speak, if you want to look at it that way, is down again. That pre presents a very unique opportunity where we've got smaller inventories, but yet there's also um, demand in the market. And so whether that's a domestic or a worldwide market, that, that version, that, that ability to be profitable head by head or, or yard by yard type of thing is, is really there right now. And, and we would hope, and you know, barring any challenges like a foreign animal disease outbreak, 
um, we've got some opportunity to work forward. So with that, what we're trying to pivot and we're interested in pivoting forward with our producers across the state and within our membership is there's going to be profitability. And let's take that profitability, engage in building Iowa's beef business. Absolutely, Matt. And I think that's really kind of a positive highlight here as we head into 2023. But on the policy side, what are some key issues that you think are going to be important for cattle producers to be watching this year? You know, for the association and as things kind of filtered and we came to some common ground and some big topics uh, there at Leadership Summit, one thing that I would put out there, and we're already involved in the discussion from a state association standpoint, but that's the farm, farm bill. And specifically from the cattle industry, uh, the conservation title. So that would be the title of the farm bill that connects to programs like EQIP and specifically in, in this situation, uh, the Conservation Reserve Program. Well over 30 year uh, type program initiated in the late 80s during the farm crisis um, for specific reasons. And as we've seen that that program evolve and actually grow, uh, it presents some challenges to the cattle industry and namely um, opportunity to graze pears or others uh, on forage acres or uh, well, just because mainly because it, it competes for land uh, longer term. We believe longer term as an organization that we can make more of a working lands program, uh, which will both complement the cattle industry and agriculture, but also uh, those conservation proponents that we're all good stewards of each and every day working forward in the program. So that would be one big topic, Delaney. On the state side, um, uh, landowner rights is always a a huge topic. And right now with um, the state's discussion in regard to um, uh, eminent domain and what is public use versus private companies uh, getting eminent domain for public use and public good uh, is certainly a topic as we go into the state session next week on the 9th um, as a lobby group uh, that we'll be keeping our ears to the ground, be involved in discussions, working forward on behalf of the cattle industry. So as you are making your rounds throughout the state and having a lot of your producer meetings, how do you focus on what is happening with the boots on the ground and get that translated into the legislature's ears? <clears throat> well, just to start off with, I, I tell you, it's a little bit of a dirty process. It takes a lot of work. And uh, just to generalize it, though, that's one of the main reasons we want our association, because we're a grassroots organization, to uh, what I would say, get to the gate. I would call it getting to the gate. So that's a a face-to-face group meeting, literally getting to one individual and seeing what's on their mind, what's keeping them up and those types of things. And so these producer forums, there's nine from January 9th through the uh, middle to end of March uh, that we've got across the state. We'll have some educational awareness, some educational speakers. But when, if if folks listen to this or are at any of these forums, when we get to those ICA update pieces, we're looking for Um, just the signals from our producers. Are we on the right path with the topics we're talking about? And then just as importantly, what else? What else is there that you want more information on and those types of things? We utilize those pieces at the front end of the year and throughout the year, phone logs, um, face-to-face interactions, all kinds of things like that to develop positions and get a a strong sense of our 8,000 members feel this way about this topic. And then we hit Leadership Summit and we put dot the I's, cross the T's, and we go from there from an action standpoint. 
So Matt, what else uh, do you think is on the horizon here for 2023? I know you also have your own cattle operation, which gives you a probably very unique perspective compared to a lot of commodity groups that perhaps don't have leaders also raising the commodity that they represent. Right. So I think 2023 is a a year that we have to constantly, if we're producers, we got to be looking forward. We got to be looking beyond the, the three foot in front of us or the year in front of us type of thing. How do we plan forward so when that cycle economically changes in terms of who's who's making margin in the in the uh, supply chain and who's not, we've got those opportunities and those investments taken care of that we can go forward profitably uh, with with even challenging times. I think in our state we're uniquely starting to see some opportunities to position more shackle space within the state. Uh, clearly, there's been some investment in our region, but within our state. Uh, related to adding shackle space to some regional plants that are very uh, familiar to a lot of our cattle producers, that provides competition. And so as we work forward and we build competition, the other thing to think about is leverage, leverage in a market. So how do we work together if if we're a small farmer feeder or a group of small farmer feeders to provide some leverage and some value add to the type of product that we're produced by the way we feed cattle in our state and raise cattle in our state? So I think that's a big, big overarching piece. What we're going to be spending time on, though, too, is looking forward from an association standpoint. Um, So you're going to see us engaged, whether it's with federal leaders or state leaders across the state, bringing them here, getting their boots on the ground type of thing so they can hear that right leader in the right place with a little dirt on his shoes, um, describe why a law or a proposed law is going the right or wrong direction. That's really what our our sweet spot is as a trade organization, and that's how we influence working forward. Um, When we look at, um, you know, opportunities, I think we also need to look at pieces that that can challenge those opportunities that are right there in front of us. And so we're going to continue on the state side to focus on things connected to foreign animal disease outbreaks, whether that's a a diagnosis piece. So the diagnostic lab um, here at Iowa State We need to get phase two done, and we're trying to work with state legislators to to help fund that. That's a state um, responsibility, Um, but also all the way into uh, working with producers uh, to get premise IDs and think about longer term, what's this animal disease traceability uh, system? What would it possibly look like? And how do we keep continuing and walking forward on that path? So if some type of foreign animal disease that would challenge a foreign market, which is about 15% of all U.S. beef production, um, breaks out. It's not about just trying to figure it out. We, we narrow that window, window of exposure time, get it taken care of, get back into the normal business model and work forward. So you've got your hands full. You and your team seem to be doing a lot of great work for the industry. But I think one question that a lot of our listeners want to know the answer to is, where do we get the best steak? You obviously probably get exposed to a lot of fantastic opportunities. Are you allowed to even say where the best steak can be found at? Well, you know, that's personal preference. And so um, there's, there's quite a few places. Obviously, when we raise it here in a state like Iowa and it's grain fed, it's all good. But if you're looking at from a restaurant experience, um, Archie's over on the western side of the state, uh, I've been there once. Uh, really, really good steak apps. Very affordable too, by the way. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, the nice thing is we've got digital opportunities. And sometimes I even do that when uh, me and the wife are, are going out to, which we rarely do with four kids anymore, um, going out to have an, an evening meal type of thing together by ourselves. 
you know, get on Google Maps or something else and steakhouse, search it, try it out, you know, put your your three to five stars on there or whatnot, but you'll find one <laughs> in any area of the state. Well, oh, it's also good. fun because you guys do the Iowa's best hamburger. I always love seeing each year who gets nominated for that because that's always somewhere where I stop on my travels around Iowa for sure. Yeah, there's no, no doubt. And that's coming up. So when we get into February, that uh, generally during the Iowa Beef Expo is when IBIC, the Beef Industry Council and the Association announce that uh, and get it kicked off. And it's it's a lot of fun. And it's kind of if you step back from it and you look at Iowa from a production or a consumer standpoint, realistically, it's just really cool to have cattle in Iowa if, if you're an ag, ag producer type. But it's also really cool to enjoy an eating experience with Iowa beef. And so those restaurants really get after it and get their nominations and their votes in and, you know, question rules and, and that kind of thing in the contest. But then at the end of the day, when we hit May Beef Month, wow, what a great way to just extrapolate. Hey, we've got a great thing going here in our state. Fun contest. We're, we're the Iowa type of people. And, and we work forward from there. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and sharing all that information. If our listeners want to keep track of you and your organization a little bit more, how best do they do that? I tell you what, the first and foremost, most important thing of a trade association like one like Iowa Cattlemen's Association is investment and engagement. And so, yes, there's a due structure that, that fuels the fuel tank that gets done what we get done. But then putting the right leader in the right place and we're all able to be some type of right leader in the right place across the table from decision makers to get them to connected connected to the influence and direction we want them to go is really important too. But to, to connect, um, you know, you can Google Iowa Cattlemen's Association. We've got a website. Uh, certainly our phone number's on there. Uh, Facebook, a lot of folks probably have Facebook on their phone. Put Iowa Cattlemen's Association on there. You got around 12 or 1,000 or 13,000 likes there. Um, that's a good place to see what we're doing. But, you know, if you're a cattle producer out there uh, interested in getting engaged in the association, give us a call, connect with us. We want to have you as members, but we want to have you engaged too to lead Iowa's beef business. That was fun to catch up with Matt. And I did, while we were having that conversation, Delaney, catch a couple more headlines I wanted to squeeze in here before the weekend. We are looking at a Dow Jones market that is climbing today several hundred points. That is due to the report coming out on the labor side of things. Non-farm payrolls increased by 223,000. That is above the Dow Jones estimate of 200,000. And unemployment fell to 3.5%, a decline of two-tenths of a percentage point. So looking to see another strong wage market here. We'll see what that has to do with continued going forward. But yes, great conversation. Great Friday. First fun Friday of 2023. And it went really well, Delaney. Absolutely. It certainly did. Tanner will have more great conversations coming to you guys next week. So stay tuned. In the meantime, you can follow along with us on social media over the weekend at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, Tanner, should we let the people go? Let's let the people go.